good Sunday evening, y'all. Water break is taking over Sunday special, as you probably know by now. The slot across politic now moves to Daily Show. So make sure you download our app and get to the daily live shows every day, 6 p.m. So over the coming months, I'll be assembling a team of contributors who will gather around the water cooler, you know, the proverbial water cooler every Sunday night to bring you hopefully the best we can muster as we end your Sabbath with water break. My team now includes, of course, you know, futurist Rod Martin, apologist Daniel Jacobs, uh, Joseph Backholm's new to the team. You'll get to hear from him today. Rhett Burns is new. Get to hear from him today. Comedian John Branion and more will be joining the team over the coming weeks. Thank you for trusting us. And we're excited to be doing a daily cross politics show every day throughout the week that will blow Fox, you know, CNN, ABC, out of the water. Join our club, subscribe to our magazine, and we look forward to seeing you at our conference in Knoxville in October. This show is brought to you by Boniface Woodworking. Boniface Woodworking exists for those who enjoy shopping with integrity, who want to buy handmade wooden furniture, gifts, and heirloom items that will last for generations. From dining tables and church pulpits, ooh, church pulpits, to cigar humidors, yes sir, thank you Jesus, and everything in between, quality pieces that you can give your children's children, tie them to their roots, and transcend the basic functions of whatever they are. Boniface Woodworking, and it's Father's Day coming up. It's Father's Day coming up. Yes, yes, yes. So start voting with your dollars and stop buying cheap crap from people who visit, who, who, who hate you. So go visit bonifacewoodworking.com to see our gallery, learn our story, and submit your orders for heirloom quality wood items. Fantastic. Cannonball or belly flop? Folks, we just passed 2022 primaries in most states. And even though there were some good shakeups, I, I saw some good shakeups. I, I enjoyed some of it. Most conservative states kept their rhino administrations. Idaho, we could not get rid of Brad Little, Governor Brad Little. Texas could not get of Greg Abbott, Governor Greg Abbott, even though they unconstitutionally shut down churches and businesses during COVID. Couldn't get rid of them. Stockholm Syndrome, whatever was going on, conservatives were lazy. No matter the race, the issue, the distance from your vote, all politics becomes local. It all gets down there. You can call this trickle-down politics, and whatever Biden's view of trickle-down economics is, I assure you trickle-down politics is doing more damage to our freedoms. This is why we've been emphasizing that the most important elections are your local elections for decades. Okay, for decades, Christians have checked out of the public square, and so it should be no surprise to us that even conservative states like Idaho, you know, we have LGBT drag parades this month in June here in Idaho, funded by your local cities, okay? Yeah, local government. Now, according to 2018 and 2019, Pew, the Pew Research Center estimates about two-thirds of the voting population, a voting age population, 65%, uh, identify as Christians. And of course, the definition of Christians is probably messed up, okay? You know, it probably includes Mormons, whatever. Um, but compare that to 65%, uh, compare that 65% to the adult LGBT population, which according to the latest Gallup poll is estimated about 7.1%, okay? The minority, the LGBT minority, the 7.1% is chasing and frankly beating the majority, and the month of June is kind of their victory lap over, you know, the lame duck conservatives who are too scared to stand up and fight. There are a lot of practical steps we can be taking to take back our communities and hopefully 
the water break team tonight will encourage you in this fight. Um, but first, before I bring the team in, my first guest is Wayne Hoffman. Okay, Idaho Freedom Foundation Executive Director Wayne Hoffman has been at the helm of the Freedom Foundation since the organization launched in January 2009. Wayne is considered one of Idaho's most influential figures in politics and public policy and an expert on an array of issues facing local, state, and federal governments. Hoffman has spent three decades writing about and analyzing the laws and regulations that impact individuals, families, and businesses. Wayne writes a weekly column found in newspapers and on websites throughout Idaho and is often invited to speak on complex issues including taxation, health, care, criminal justice, and education. His commentaries have also been published by national publications including the Wall Street Journal and Watchdog.org. Now, in your state, there's a number of, uh, pretty much every state has some version of the Idaho Freedom Foundation, and you should connect with that foundation. Um, they're, they're a good organization. They try to keep, uh, hold uh, politicians accountable, and they try to rank and score every, as much legislation as possible, and all these foundations in every state are kind of uh, um, you know, focused on that. So this is a good way to know about what's going on with each politician in your state and what's going on as much local details as they can cover. Thank you for coming on the show, Wayne. Appreciate hey, I'm glad to do you. it. Glad to do it. Thanks Good. for having me. Good. So why does a conservative state like Idaho need a Freedom Foundation, need a conservative think tank like yours? You know what's funny? That it was the number one question I was asked when we started Freedom Foundation okay. in 2008. Why do you need a conservative mm-hmm. organization? We're already so conservative. We have all these Republicans running yeah. around. We're Idaho. And, and, right. And mm-hmm. I had to show them that that simply wasn't true. Yes, you had a lot of Republicans, but you didn't have a lot of conservatives. Mm-hmm. And so what we had to do was actually demonstrate people. One of, the, one of my donors very early asked me, how do I know if my legislator is conservative or not and i said you know i don't have a mechanism for telling you i can tell you on certain bills a legislator voted uh, a certain way Mm -hmm. but they vote on 300 bills every year but what does that look like in aggregate so that's why we created the the idaho freedom index which is one of our premier products and that helped people see whether their legislature was actually conservative or not and fact check Mm -hmm. it was actually not there were about out of 105 legislators we had six that were actually pro-free market, wow. pro-limited mm-hmm. government, pro-freedom, pro-constitutionally protected rights. So are you making up your own definition of what it means to be conservative or you know what what you're working well i mean it, it it's it's what you would expect right it, okay. it's um, does a program are you creating a new program are you eliminating a, a constitutionally protected right or reducing or restricting that okay. are you substituting the government for the free market and mm-hmm. private enterprise are you raising taxes or fees okay. and we have a list of 12 different questions that we ask about every single bill that any conservative would look at and go yeah Oh, that makes a lot of sense. No one has ever said to me, oh, you're using the wrong metrics. You're, you, you're measuring the wrong stuff. Okay. So what um, can you give me, if you can recall them, can you give me actually the 12 questions? Can I walk through All them All 12 questions yeah, off the yeah. top of my head. Let me yeah. let me try, okay? And uh, so these are questions yeah, so that you use to evaluate each yes. bill. Are, are, you, are you creating a new government program? Are you okay. creating a new regulation? Mm-hmm. Are you taking away uh, responsibilities from the private sector and yeah. giving it to uh, the government? Are you creating a special perk for us for a particular class of citizens or businesses or special interest groups are Uh, you adding to the budget stuff like that we do a separate tracker for spending and that's a very so all this is policy 
see. Uh, yeah. But but we do have a metric that asks, are, are you creating new government debt? Mm-hmm. Um, are you uh, spending money for objectionable purposes? Mm-hmm. In other words, are you doing something that the government sincerely shouldn't do and you're spending a bunch of money on it? Are you yeah. making government more transparent? Or are you making it harder to figure out what government is doing? Yeah. I don't know if I've counted 12 just no, yet. That's, but that's the, helpful. But you, now, get, you I, get the I, idea. Yeah, and, and I, I think that kind of freedom foundation, those questions and kind of the scoring of each bill is helpful. Uh, And I agree, you know, trying to make things as objective and consistent as possible as you kind of rate each bill. And then that, of course, ends up applying to the legislators because then you score the legislators. Well, they score themselves because their scores aggregate over time. Because what happens is their vote, one of the great things about Idaho is they're voting on a single subject at a time. Uh And so, you know, they they vote on a bill and it's like, oh, there's there's a fee increase. Well, I like a fee increase for this program that I love so much. I'm going to vote yes just this once. And then they do it again and again and again. It's like, watching grass grow you know you, you go out and you <laughs> yeah. mow your lawn one day and it's nice and too flat to the surface yeah and then you go out a week later and it's up to your knees and you wonder when the heck did that happen well legislation okay. growing government runs pretty much the same way sometimes it happens in 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 really big steps but oftentimes it happens incrementally mm-hmm. over time and so we track that so people can determine whether their legislators are actually supporting limited government or not okay and so at the end of legislative session you'll see if they got an A, a B, a C, a D, each legislator yeah, just kind of score and, themselves right. by based on how through, they voted. Through their votes. And yeah. actually, we you can do that during the legislative session because our habit, our rule is that we score every bill before every floor vote. Okay. So it's not something that happens in hindsight. Yep. Uh, we're not going and saying, well, you know, if we score this bill, it's going to affect our friends this way or that yep. way. It happens in real time, and you can go and see in the middle of a legislative session every day or every other day if you wanted whether your legislators are voting for limited government or not yeah so okay objective kind of test sometimes i've i've seen someone uh, a bill come through and you guys don't rate it well and, and then i'm but i still am sympathetic to the bill where i think that well i think i can see some good reasoning for wanting to vote for that bill as a legislator how do you guys handle maybe kind of um uh the the the, the the context of the bill instead of just um, putting a test to it, you know, you know, you know what I'm trying to get at. Well, uh, maybe Let, let's let's work through a few things yeah. first. We do uh, about 200 bills a year, which is more than any other organization in the state, and probably more than wow. any in the country. Wow. So my okay. team is working on bills really, really quickly. It's yeah. like triage. So you run through a bill and you're trying to understand it, and you're uh-huh. seeing what you're adding and what you're deleting. Sometimes bills are really simple and easy mm-hmm. to understand. Sometimes they're very complex. So we apply the same metrics to every single bill Mm -hmm. and we're transparent about it so when we're done evaluating legislation you can read that evaluation and i'll tell you that occasionally because we're working on these things very quickly somebody will call us up and say you've got this bill wrong okay and we'll say okay well is the analysis wrong is the analysis wrong that's all i want to know and sometimes we do get it wrong Mm -hmm. about two or three bills a year we get wrong yeah and that's 1%. I think that's a pretty good track record. Yeah. Um, and when we get something wrong, we go back and we correct it. And we, we, we put at the top of it, this has been amended because of this, that, and the other thing. Um, but we're only interested in what a bill does, not whether somebody loves it or not, because everybody loves a bill, right? Yeah. And every bill that, that goes through a committee, there's a process where folks testify on it. Mm-hmm. And invariably, somebody's going to show up and they're going to say, I love this legislation and here's why. And I don't mm-hmm. care. 
<laughs> does it does it grow yeah. government? Does it reduce my freedoms or right. not? That's what we're trying to measure. Right. And so, in other words, I'll, I'll give you an example. Somebody came in and they uh, they had a fee increase for snowmobiles. Mm-hmm. And some people love the snowmobile program in Idaho. They consider it to be exceptional compared to other states, whatever. We only look at whether it increases the fee, not the context of it. Does it increase the fee? Yes or no. It's not whether it's a well-run program, whether people love it, whether it's better than other states. Does it increase the fee? And that's it. Right. It's not how you feel. So I believe you gave my legislator, Brandon Mitchell, a C. Yeah, Um, possibly. which Which is... Based on what I know, I like Brandon. I I voted for him. Yeah, Yeah, you know, they're all nice. (laughs) Um, But uh, a C for a conservative legislator is not a good score. Yeah, you'd have to go back and look at what all he voted on, but invariably mm-hmm. it's things like um, uh, voting for a program that mm-hmm. you know some hard luck case special interest group came in and said, we want this program, we support okay. this idea. Uh, sometimes it's the removal of a person's constitutionally protected right. And, you know, for example, there have been bills to um, uh, prohibit people from protesting in front of other people's houses, yep. elected officials' houses. Uh-huh. And you might say, gosh, that's terrible. I do. I think it's terrible yeah. i really don't want people protesting in front of elected people's yeah. houses yeah. i don't want them protesting in front of my, my house, house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but by golly you have a constitutionally protected mm-hmm. right it's mm-hmm. constitutionally protected because it's a god-given natural right yeah and so if you re- if you reduce people's freedoms you de- you deserve to be dinged for that mm-hmm. uh, the excuses don't matter um how do you guys handle public schools then that's the that's the thing conservatives can't get their can't figure out. Yeah, so we have a separate index for education, okay. and it has different metrics, uh, including things like does it give parents more freedom? Does it reduce the power of the teachers' union and other special interest groups to control the education system? And that is a separate measurement that we do. We okay. also have a, a, a separate index for spending issues, which, by the way, we're going to really improve and and make it, I think, a pretty transformative, powerful indicator of really growth. Of the spending part, uh-huh. but public schools is a problem, mm-hmm. and people haven't talked enough about what that problem is. Yeah. First of all, I hear a lot of conservatives say, they'll quote Ronald Reagan, and they'll say, Ronald Reagan said, government's not the solution to the problem, yep. government is the problem. Mm-hmm. Or they'll quote, quote Milton Friedman, who said, if you put the government in charge of the Sahara Desert, it would be at a sand in five years. <laughs> and yet we go and we, we, we look yeah. at public schools as being different. Yeah. Government right. schools. Mm-hmm are bad. Mm -hmm. The government should not be in the education business. I I have yet to see a government program that works well, Mm -hmm. and that includes the government school system. Mm -hmm. So what we've said is you got to get government out of the education business. At minimum, you need to at least be able to free parents to send their kids to the schools of their choice choice that works for them. Mm -hmm. Because in Idaho, there's actually a constitutional problem with public education. Yes, there is. It's actually um, in our constitution, in our founding constitution, that the government, I think it's, would make room or provide for a public education or well, something. It's what was a, it? a, free, a free system uh-huh. that is uniform and thorough. Uh-huh. Uh, free, uniform, and thorough. I mean, if you were going to buy anything, 
<laughs> if you were buying a service, you wouldn't call up um, a car dealership and say, do you have a car that's uh, free, uniform, and thorough? Yeah. I, those are the things I'm looking for. No, you want you want it to be fast. You want it to be comfortable. Yeah. You you want it to have good gas mileage. Yeah. And now, especially. <laughs> now, especially now, uh, yeah. but, but what we say about our schools is those are the three things we're looking for. Free, uniform, and thorough. How about excellent? How about you know better than average? How about mm. um, uh, schools that prepare kids for a, a trade or for you know college or, or profession? Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have those things right now. And in mm-hmm. fact, if we're honest about the education system, in most public schools, not just in Idaho but across America, kids are graduating with the inability to read, write, yep. and do math, that's and certainly right. understand history. Mm-hmm. And that's accepted as normal. There are schools in Idaho, by the way, where ninety um, percent of kids can't pass a con- college entrance exam yeah so how do you how do you get elected with that you know because I'm, I'm in agreement i think uh public schools in idaho are the reason are the found are, are the reason why idaho's going left or why there's a gaining momentum for leftists absolutely. because they aren't producing conservatives absolutely their kids are in addition to having bad academic performance yeah. they're also indoctrinating our kids into mm-hmm. believing a lot of very goofy goofy mm-hmm. things about our history about gender about no, evolution about race, how we're made everything everything <laughs> you know? yeah. we took bibles out of the yeah. schools and we understand i wonder why things are the way they are mm-hmm. um so I, th- I think the first thing you have to do is call a spade a spade. When I got into this um, uh, business uh, 14 years ago, working okay. doing free market public policy research, uh, friends of mine said to me, Wayne, you must never say these words. These these following words in a sentence must never be said. Mm-hmm. Uh, government should not be in the education business. Yep. And I said, well, gosh, why not? And they said, well, because people don't want to hear that. That's right. And over time, I started asking my a simple question is, why can't we say those things? We've taken that conversation off the discussion table. Right. And that allows, that, that makes it to where we can't discuss the full panoply of policy solutions, including private schools, home schools, mm-hmm. um, yeah. learning pods where people get together and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, a, a group of parents work together to, to te- educate kids. Yep. There are a lot of different solutions that are out there. It's the yep. 21st century. Right. We should do, be able to do more than just throw a bunch of kids in an education system that's failing them. There are a lot of neat ideas. And frankly, there are others states that are doing way more than us but i think the first step is to say more money doesn't solve the problem you really have to look at whether the thing that we created in 1890 this government-run education system that started in the 1850s with horace mann and various other socialists Mm -hmm. who wanted to who we do in louis exactly Um, you, you, you have got to go back from that and say, is there a better way? Mm-hmm. I've, I've also said, um, you know, it, it, it kind of, I, I sort of wondered out loud if there was a secondary effect mm-hmm. of having a public education system beyond the poor academic performance. And I mm-hmm. think that the other secondary effect is this belief that government can do no harm, that yeah. government solves problems, that people who are in authority need to be obeyed. And you saw that play out in spades in uh, 2020 yeah how do you um so i mean how you're talking and it seems like how iff rates everybody it seems like if i signed off to iff's um conservatism uh i, I couldn't get elected even in idaho i don't agree yeah i mean if you look at what happened this last election cycle it's existence proof that yes they can mm-hmm. um it, there are more conservatives who are about to take office in the idaho legislature yeah. than 
ever. I was encouraged about that. Let's talk about that for a minute. I was encouraged to see some good change in the Senate Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the most disappointing things about our election, and this happened in Texas too, was where we kind of kept our, you know, our rhino, you know, administration. I mean, Brad Little shut down people's businesses in Idaho and yep. he got revoted. He shut down churches and he got the, reelected. This, I, I don't understand that. This is a function of the the formula that has helped uh, leftist Republicans get elected in Idaho yeah. for 40 years or more. What you do is you go out and you say, I'm a conservative. And then the constituent generally says, well, prove it to me that you're conservative. And the the, uh, candidate or the elected official will say, well, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-Second Amendment, and I believe in lower taxes. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, and, and then if you start check, 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 yeah, and if you start quizzing them more, yeah. what happens is they go, "Oh, uh, Joe Biden, he's terrible, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, Joe, right? pick your your right. Democrat du jour, who's the the highest uh, elected Democrat in the nation, mm-hmm. and you bash on them forever, and that's what what Brad Little and Scott Bedke did. Yeah, they, they well, they, Bedke lied too about Priscilla. B- I mean, Bedke, it's unbelievable. Bedke, Bedke lied a lot about Priscilla. There's no question about sending out flyers that says she's a liberal when obviously she's not. I yeah. mean that 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 was really. Yeah, really low. But he's it, a liar. But the point is, is that what Republicans have done in Idaho for many years is they they tell people the things they want to hear uh-huh. and the things they want to have wanted to hear and legitimately so pro life, pro Second Amendment, low taxes, and then for for a little bit more proof, just in case you throw in for good measure a comment or two about Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, right. Barack right. Obama, Hillary Clinton, you name that person, that's yeah. who you're running against, and the folks who aren't paying attention, and there are a lot of folks still not paying attention, mm-hmm. buy into that, particularly in southern Idaho. Yeah. But here in this side of the state, people are really starting to they figure are. it out, yeah. and that has caused a seed change, and you're seeing that year after year it gets better. So take the Idaho legislature, starting with about the 2018-2020 election. The Idaho House of Representatives became more conservative than it has ever been in the state's history, mm-hmm. which is saying a lot. Yeah. And then the state Senate, which historically was more conservative, you have to go back to the 1960s before the one-man, one-vote. Right. Uh, the the right. state Senate, mm-hmm. one senator mm-hmm. per county, was mm-hmm. very, very conservative. Mm-hmm. Not so much, of course, anymore. But now you're going to have between 12 and 15 conservative Republican senators in a body of 35. That's wow. pretty freaking amazing. That is really good. Yeah. yeah. So so you're, you, you are seeing a seat change because people are now starting to ask bigger, more detailed questions. They want to know, what are you doing to stop critical race theory? What are you doing to stop mm-hmm. social justice? Why do you keep voting for all this nonsense? Uh, for example, there's a, 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 a pride event. Uh, by the time this airs, it will have already taken place mm-hmm. in Coeur d'Alene. Yep. And uh, it's, guess where it's funded by? Not just the Satanic Temple <laughs> of Idaho. State government, city government, State governments yeah. and city governments yeah. are funding it. So Unbelievable. people have to ask their legislators, why are you supporting this stuff? Mm-hmm. And I'll say that it goes beyond just that. That's an easy one because it's happening and we're all paying attention to the LBGQ agenda. Mm-hmm. But for many years, you, the taxpayer, I always go to, to events and I'm invited to speak and mm-hmm. I'll ask people, how much money are you giving to National Public Radio? And no one will raise their hands. And I yeah. say, every Every one of you should have your hands up. And I'm not just talking about Congress, folks. I'm talking about the state of Idaho yeah. appropriating money to Boise State Public Radio yeah. and Idaho State University's public radio system, right. which then sends your money to National Public Radio right. to fill the airways with liberal gobbledygook. Yeah. 
That's mm-hmm. happening, and it doesn't have to be that way. Right. We can do something about that here in Idaho today. But, it's, but it seems like conservatives. So um, I had an interesting guest on. I don't know if you know Aaron Wren. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I had him on last week, and um, he he made an interesting point. And I, I've been thinking a lot about kind of Burkean conservatism and recovering. Really, we need a Burkean kind of 2.0 conservatism revival is what we need. Um, and he mentioned, Aaron mentioned that, well, the conservatism that we have now really kind of birthed out of the fifties and sixties, um, that that's where the, the new conservative movement started again. And, and which is not really kind of the Burkean conservatism at all. It has more to do with what you're against and, and has more to, and it's not as principally driven. Um, so the conservatism that uh, we're growing up in and i feel like i'm starting to fight this conservatism I'm, i feel like i'm starting to i'm in this weird world where i'm a conservative i'm a republican generally speaking um but i'm like fighting with you know i'm, I'm disagreeing with brandon mitchell i'm disagreeing with brad little i'm disagreeing with most of the conservatives in my party yeah and i think it's all a lot of it stemming from this unprincipled conservatism that birthed out of the 60s yeah it's, it's there's a lot of truth to that but i think there's more as well which is that and especially what we deal with which is basically state and local government right right, right. Um, there are things which are really more a product of status quo and not really yeah. not really challenging it's just the way thinking. we've always done it exactly yeah. let, let me just give you an example in the 1960s um the federal government created the through lbj uh-huh. the great society 1965 that's mm-hmm. where you got uh, medicare and medicaid that's right. um, the food stamp programs go back of course to the 1930s 30s. with fdr uh-huh. and the state of idaho just administers that yeah but there's no federal law that says we have to run a, a food stamp program. We just yep. do. Yep. There's no federal law that says we have to run a Medicaid program. Medicaid is now the biggest program in all of state government. So we could, uh, Idaho could say, stop paying, stop taking wage taxes out for Medicaid, Medicare? Well, Medicare, I can't do anything about. Okay, but, but, Medicaid? but Medicaid, you can. Medicaid is, is a state-federal partnership, which originally was supposed to help the poor and disabled. Now it's been expanded to helping able-bodied people. Yeah, able-bodied, <laughs> you know, yeah. childless adults. But yeah. and, and more worrisome is that half the babies in Idaho today are born on Medicaid. Are you serious? Half the babies today are born on Medicaid. So, and this is true. I want to see that stat when you when sure. You send and it to this me. is true. Wow. This is true all over the country. This is true all over the country. This is the problem. So, when you hear people talking about there, there is a real public policy problem that needs to be addressed in school shootings. Yeah. It's not banning guns. Banning government schools. And it's not. That's, that's, part of the, that's part of the equation. But it's also not in the interim just putting a bunch of security guards and metal detectors. Yeah, yeah. Look, our schools are becoming prisons, and it's stupid. Yeah. What's really happening? If you banned all the guns, and as a matter of public policy, you put a bunch of metal detectors in all the schools and mm-hmm. school security officers and school resource yeah. officers and all these things, would an 18-year-old who shot up that school in Texas still be mentally problematic? Yeah, that's right. Of course he would. Yeah. How do you fix that? 
Well, the way you fix that is you stop government from playing the role that churches, charities, mm-hmm. communities, friends, yeah. organizations yeah. used to play. Yeah. Because if you have a community that's well cohesive mm-hmm. and working together to solve problems, mm-hmm. then you can identify when a young man or young lady is having mental problems yeah. and you can get them the help that they need. And it's right. not just a pill, by the way. Yeah. Sometimes it's a function of getting them closer connected to their yeah. communities, getting them connected to God, yeah. uh, getting them involved in activities, giving them a work, uh, a line of work or mm-hmm. a trade or something to be yeah. interested in. What we have done in America is we've implemented all 10 planks of the Communist Manifesto. Mm-hmm. We've done it willingly. <laughs> Re- preach. Republican That's right. legislatures yep. have done it themselves, yep. and they've not taken a look in the rearview mirror to ask, is this the right policy or not? Yep. So yeah, when I say to people, I would get government out of the education business, I mean, if you can't do that, you at least open up school choice, put the Bible back in the mm-hmm. classroom, mm-hmm. Um, make kids responsive to discipline, give kids work to do. I was working when I was 10 years old. I don't know how old were you when you started working? Yeah, I was mowing yards when I was when I could start pushing it around the corner. Right, and yeah. and and those are things that we've said to kids: don't do that. Yeah. Go sit at home and stream Netflix and mm-hmm. play video games and scroll your Facebook and and Instagram feeds and be connected that way. Mm-hmm. But what it does, it's created a, a mental health crisis mm-hmm. in America, and that mental health crisis has resulted in government saying we've got to create new programs and yeah. spend more money on those things. And when you do that, you take more money out of the pockets of parents and they can't spend time with their kids because they're too busy working to pay for it. Uh, You know, and this is this is my central problem with public schools beyond it's the family's duty to educate the kids and you're taking that away from them. Um, So there's there's some real uh, there's some more foundational problems. But one of my central problems with public schools is the worldview they're teaching our kids. Of course. So they're teaching their kids that they were evolved from stardust, Mm -hmm. that there's no meaning in life and that, you know, might makes right. That's and so, exactly right. and so that's why you, you. I mean, the the shooting in the public school is the logical conclusion of an ev- evolutionary mm-hmm. framework. Yeah, it's chaos. When, when you, evolution is chaos, when, and you go in and do more chaos. When you have kids that are basically indoctrinated in, into nihilism, which is what yeah. they've been. That's right. Yeah, they, they have nothing to live for, and yeah. they see no future for themselves because we've taken it all away that's from right. them, and mm-hmm. we've trained them that there's nothing good. That's right. In the country that they live in, and in, in in the 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 home that they were raised in, and that's the people. Right that are all around them yep. and, and and occasionally a kid will go and, and shoot up a school mm-hmm. but more often what happens is a kid is going to be just given a bunch of pills yeah and right. they become zombies i think it was in the 70s two kids out of a school might be on ridlin um now i think it's um like eight kids for every classroom or yeah. something yeah um and and we're brain. I mean, to your to your point with the with the drugs, we're just drugging our our kids, right. and they think they think they're um, uh, high energy, uh, hard to focus is a problem. Uh, that's part of the feature of younger children, and it, they need to be focused. It needs to be they need to be uh, channeled. And and right. what we do instead is we give them drugs it, because oh, you're you're too active in the classroom. Yeah, exactly. And now I add one more thing onto that. Okay. Sixty percent of marriages in America end in divorce. Yeah, that's right. And by the that's way, right. that statistic used to be fifty percent. And some of my lefty friends mm-hmm. will say, "Wayne, you're you're overstating the problem. It's actually more like thirty or forty percent because you're including second marriages." Whatever. Yeah. The the point is, is that and yes, a second marriage that ends in divorce also is also, it's also a, a, a divorce. Problem, right? <laughs> it's also part of the stat. And kids are <laughs> affected be. by that. Yeah. But the point is, yeah. is that we have families that are failing. Society right. is failing them. Right. Government steps in. Politicians 
come and they say, I'm going to fix your problem, and they never do. Mm -hmm. And so that's how you fix it. So back to your original point, which is there are solutions, Mm -hmm. conservative, free market, limited government solutions that do solve problems. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that we used to do before Mm -hmm. that we've just forgotten about. And in fact, um, you remember Tom Trail, state representative. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom, who was no no conservative. No, no, no. He was he was the OG lefty yeah. Republican. Yeah. Nice mm-hmm. enough guy. Yeah. But he sent me an article not long after we started the Freedom Foundation. It was an article. I wish I still had it. It was an article that was written in the um, in in the, it was published in the local Moscow newspaper, uh-huh. and it was written by the folks from the Chamber of Commerce here in town. Okay. And it was it was from the Great Depression era, complaining about the federal plan to help. Uh, through New Deal programs. And basically the letter said, we don't want your help. Mm -hmm. We'll be responsible for our living. We'll bury our dead. We'll take care of the folks that are in need. We don't need government to intervene in our lives. That was the sentiment not so long ago in the recent history of America. And people have forgotten that. Wow. So, uh, uh, man, I want to talk property taxes. There's so much I want to talk you with you about. Talk about anything uh, you want. We we um uh, <laughs> we, we we don't have all the time for all this. Is, is I'll what come I'm getting back. at. But I'll come back. Um, how, I'm inviting myself back. See what I just please. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're on the hook now. Um, how do con- conservatives are are really bad at building? Um, good at critiquing. Um, you know, tearing down. I, I, you know, not even that good at that. But I would say, generally speaking, liberals build. Conservatives don't. Uh, you have numerous examples of conservatives. Um, well, I'd say conservatives build and then they give it away. Where uh, conservatives built some great economies, some great cities, and then liberals come in and take it over. Dallas, Texas. I'm, I was born and raised in Texas. Dallas is a good example. It's now run by Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Denver. I mean, you think of there's a lot of good cities that were conservative and now Phoenix uh, now are run by leftists. Um, how come conservatives are so bad at um, having impact on culture and politics? And it seems to all be just drifting one direction. Yeah, for exactly the same reason I just described. It happens on a macro level in, in a state. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll just go back to the Idaho legislature, which I know very well since I've been watching it since 1995 and I've studied it. I've I've seen how things have materialized there in in all these years. Um, Conservatives, historically, would come to the legislature and they metaphorically put their rock on the no button Mm -hmm. so they could just go home. And now what we're saying is we're offering up solutions. It's not just about bashing the other side and being, as, as I've heard people describe it, the loyal opposition that's how people mm-hmm. describe the the role of the Republican, the conservative Republican over many years. That's not what they're for. Mm-hmm. I think the role of the conservative Republican or otherwise is to propose policy solutions. In the vacuum of no policy solutions, people go to where they're given a solution. Yeah. If you just say no, let's say, for example, uh, high housing prices. Mm-hmm. So, oh, we don't have a solution. Okay, well, I've got a solution. It's, it's um, we're going to create a new program and mm-hmm. we're going to hand out subsidies and we're going to give uh, uh, you know money away to developers and all these kinds of things that that people go for that because yeah. they're looking for somebody to solve a problem. Yeah, as opposed to eliminating 
paying property taxes. If, if you can propose solving a problem, yeah. and we have done that, so that's, that's the change in the direction over the 14 years that we've been involved and the folks that have been getting elected to the legislature is, here's our solution, and mm-hmm. you just described one, get rid of the property tax. Yeah. If you gifted me a house tomorrow, a million, let's say you have a million dollar house, you want to gift me, yeah. I, I hope that's the case. I wish. But, but if, if you did that, I couldn't afford to have it. Right. Because the government would, would tax me out of it in mm-hmm. no time. You don't actually own the property. You you lease you it from the government, right. and then they could take it away That's from right. you. Even if you own it. If you, if you own right. it outright, they can take it away from you. The point is to be able to say, well, how do you fix that problem? Mm-hmm. It's not just raising the homeowner's exemption because mm-hmm. that causes somebody else to have your problem. Mm-hmm. We talk instead about how you fix it. How do you get rid of the property tax? What do you have to do to make yeah. that happen? Or what do you have to do to get rid of the income tax, which is another yeah. horrible thing? Mm-hmm. We didn't have all this government many years ago. Right. We really didn't. Yeah. And when you look at the different taxes, taxes that we've had. We had a property tax in statehood. Yep. In 1931, the legislature passed an income tax. Why? Mm-hmm. So that we could reduce the property tax burden. Yeah. And then when the sales tax was passed in 1965, one of the arguments was to do what? To lower property taxes. <laughs> well, none of those things are working. Yeah. So you've got to, and of course, you remember in 2006 when uh, then Governor Risch and mm-hmm. the special session of the legislature that put in place the 6% sales tax to mm-hmm. do what? To lower in to property taxes. Yeah. That didn't work. Yeah. So you have to talk about these policy solutions mm-hmm. instead of just leaving it to the other side. Real policy solutions. And I'm not talking about just Band-Aids. Mm-hmm. The, what is the real reason why property taxes are so high yeah. and combat that, that thing? A, it shouldn't be in existence. Right. And B, you allow for, um, what is it, 1,200 different taxing districts to have their draw in your reservoir that's, right. that's why it's happening that's right all right last uh, i want to end here because i have a lot of friends who tune in the show nationwide and um they've uh, i actually literally just had one ask me this last week um you know how do i start a think tank how do i start an organization like what what iff is um uh uh, you know, from are you guys a five hundred one c three? I mean, just practically talk through that. Real sure, quick. I mean we're a five hundred one c three. We're a free market think tank. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're a conservative think tank. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, there there is one in at least every state. Mm-hmm. So if I were in another state, I would at least find out what that other organization is doing. Yeah. They may be doing some really good things. They might not yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, some some states have more than one. But at least reach yeah. out to them. There might be a gap yeah. in what they're doing. For example, in in Washington State. State, uh, there are two think tanks, so uh, conservative think tanks. One is the Washington Policy Center, yep. uh, which does a lot of tax policy, ag policy. Um, they do a lot of stuff in Seattle. Yep. Uh, the Freedom Foundation, not 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 the same as us, but they used to call, be called the Evergreen Freedom Foundation, not not just called the Freedom Foundation. Okay. They do a lot of union busting stuff. Their okay. their whole thing is to get rid of uh, a, a public collective bargaining and some of those in- units that are weighing down public schools and fire departments and yeah. police departments. Um, so they do a lot of different things in different states. Some are uh, more effective than others. Um, so at least reach out to them. There's a great website, spn.org, that's State Policy Network, that has a list of all the different... Um, SPN.org? SPN, statepolicynetwork.org. Uh, go on that website, see what's in your state, reach out to them, see what they're doing, because there might be something that they're doing already, and, and maybe there's a gap that you could that's help fill. That's good. That's very helpful. 
Wayne. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm really appreciate very you glad to do it. Thanks studio. for getting the message out. And if yeah. you want to find out more information Please. about us, uh, IdahoFreedom.org. I'm always happy to answer questions. IdahoFreedom.org. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, thanks. Well, we need to bring in some of the water break team to kind of discuss what's going on here in their states and what's going on in um, uh um, other other uh, uh, local uh, fighting districts. You know, I, th- I think one of the things that's happened over the over the over COVID. One of the gifts that's happened over COVID is a lot of people are waking up uh, with how important local politics are in their community. So um, uh, let me bring in uh, Joseph back home. He's new to the team. Uh, you guys will enjoy what he has to say. So uh, let's welcome Joseph back home. Joseph Backholm is Senior Fellow for the Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement at the Family Research Council, and he combines extensive legal, political, uh, and policy experience with a love for the way biblical truth cultivates human flourishing. I love I love that line in her, in her bio, Joseph. And Joseph, this is his first week on the team. He'll be coming in uh, in the coming weeks and months with us. Joseph, thanks for joining the Water Break team. Glad to have you on the show. Good to be with you, Gabe. Thank you. Yeah. So... Um, inflation has got a lot of people um, all fr- on the frizzy. They're they're pretty nervous about inflation on the rise, and and but this I think also is an opportunity to wake up people to to local politics. You know why? How does how does inflation connect to local politics, and why is local politics so important with what is going on in our current uh, you know political climate? Well, I, that's a tough question. I think how does inflation affect? Or how does local politics affect inflation? I'm not sure your local county commissioners or your local mayor has much to do yeah. with inflation. You know, macroeconomics are a, a big, complicated subject. Frankly, I'm not that qualified to get involved with. But the the issue of of local politics and why that matters, um, it really is an issue of controlling what you can control. And in us as moms and dads and citizens and employees and just mm-hmm. the things that we're doing, we don't have a lot of control personally over inflation rates and mm-hmm. we can try to get the right people in there to make the right uh, policy decisions, but there's a lot that's beyond our control, but what isn't beyond our control uh, in much more tangible ways is what's, what's going on in your school board, what's going on in your city mm-hmm. council, even your state legislature, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these really local races and I've been excited to see school boards in particular get the attention that they have in the last year and a half. Uh, I've been part of meetings on a Wednesday in the middle of the week. You have 130 people come together for a whole day on a Wednesday to talk about school board races. And five years ago, we couldn't have got three people interested in that. And in these school board races across the country, historically, many, many people run unopposed. A lot of these races, there are dozens of votes, depending on the size of your uh, community total that are cast for these votes. People are winning not by hundreds of thousands or thousands of votes. They're winning by like 12 votes and seven votes. And sometimes it's unopposed. And so they win with like 78 total votes. And, and I think what has happened, COVID and everything with education, we've really seen this, uh, a growing awareness of the things that are happening in really small, seemingly obscure races actually have a tremendous impact on the life of my kids. And the good news is we have much more influence over the outcome of those races than we do in Washington, D.C. anyway. So it's beneficial that we start changing our energy in places where we have more control. That's really good, Joseph. You know, what's your take? So I, I had Wayne on the show earlier, and uh, one of the questions I asked him is, you know, it, it really 
bothers me. I said this in my monologue that, you know, Brad Little got reelected here in Idaho. Governor Abbott got reelected in Texas. You know, these, these, these governors, these administration who shut down people's businesses, churches, and so forth. And yet they somehow in conservative states still got reelected. What's your take kind of on the, the political uh, fallout of COVID and it not really shaking up things like I thought it would? Well, I think conservative means different things different people. And, mm-hmm. and the reality is the, the supermajority of Americans, even, you know, the awakening that we had through COVID, which I think is true, the supermajority of people are not paying attention to the minutia. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, most people go into a ballot box and they're like, well, those are the R's and those are the D's. That's my team and I vote for them and I don't vote for them. And so the, the, the political parties have a tremendous amount of influence over what is generally, I think, true mm. low information voters that are making a lot of decisions. Mm. So it's, it, people vote with their sentiments and their feelings. Uh, and that's kind of what America is. And all of us are frankly, I think, tempted to do that. But it is not totally surprising to me that, that a group of people who have, you know, thought positively about Governor Little enough to elect him or Governor Abbott enough to elect him don't have their mind completely changed because of some policies that happened because frankly, they're paying it that close of attention to, to connect the dots between this thing that they didn't like and the people who are in office and have that actually influence their decision. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really helpful, Joseph. You know, uh, I mentioned this earlier too, you know, we, let's say 65% of voting population adults are, are Christians. It's probably my guess. My estimate is probably going to be more between 30 and 35% actual um, conservative Christians. But um, anyways, let's say 60% of the population yeah. voting population is some sort of Christian or some sort of faith-based yeah. person. Uh, and the LGBT uh, crowd is maybe 8%. Uh, it, so what this shows is that the LGBT crowd is able to get their legislation passed. They're able to get a Burgerfell passed. They're able to get a poll pride month. And, and, and to me that shows Christians are they're uninvolved in politics and they are having little impact on the direction our society is going. Why, why is this the case? Well, that's complex. I think there's a lot going on there because you know, you we look back to 2016 and it's something like 92% of professing evangelical Christians voted in that particular presidential election. So the numbers historically that I've seen, you have basically two thirds of, of professing Christians voting in election, which means, about a third of our influence is, is sitting on the sideline. And yes, the LGBT vote is disproportionate, but it's, it's, it's not because of that particular lobby and the number of people who identify as LGBT and I, you know, 7%, depending on what poll you look at is actually quite low because yep. every third person, it seems under the age of 30 identifies as some version of LGBT. Increasingly it's all T. So the numbers are really kind of hard to play with, but the reality is in, in the larger messaging, in the political movements, the LGBT lobby is kind of a, they have so many allies and mm-hmm. they have so many people cheering for them. And you have all of these giant megaphones, not really cheering for them as necessarily individuals, but they see that issue as helpful and they leverage it uh, aggressively and governments do and corporations do. And, uh, you know, certainly the media carries the water, these campaigns and these messages and they've convinced a d- decent number of Americans that if you disagree with these particular groups, issues, you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's trying to just give their, give their sympathy to these issues as a way of proving that they're a, a good and decent person. And that goes back to the whole voting emotionally thing, rather than like thinking about 
practice, what are we actually doing here? It's just, it's just a sentiment that we're expressing uh, with our ballot. So, um, hmm. Yes, there's a lot more that we can be doing uh, as Christians in this space. We are not engaged at the level that we should be. And increasingly, we have people engaging on the wrong side of these issues who claim to be Christians, which is his own, you know, its own challenge. George Barna, who I work with at the Center for Biblical Worldview Family Research Council, his research showed that 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview. 2%. Right. And what percentage of them identify as Christians? So you have people who are raised in the church identifying as Christians who certainly don't think like Christians. Therefore, it's not shocking that they don't vote like Christians. So all these labels, um, it's questionable how much you can uh, how much meaning you can derive from them. Uh, Joseph, thanks for joining the Water Break team. As he, Joseph's a smart guy, you can see why I brought him on. Really grateful for Joseph. Uh, thank you, man. We'll see you. We'll see you hopefully in the coming weeks. I appreciate it, Gabe. Look forward to it. Biden, this uh, past week or maybe last seven days, he started talking about uh, trickle-down economics and and why it's bad. My my next guest, Rod Martin, futurist, business guru, political mastermind. Um, uh, You know, uh, Rod, I'm not sure if you heard this, but Biden started attacking trickle down economics as bad for society. He wants something like, I think he said bottom up, middle out or something like that. And of course we know that's not really true that even he is going to get that out of his economic policies. But, um, why, why are liberals attacking trickle down economics and is is trickle down economics even a, a good thing in the first place? You know, it's interesting. Uh, Thomas Sowell wrote a booklet why of trickle-down economics years ago. It's worth picking up. You can get it on Amazon. It's a very short read. Um, It's a term that doesn't exist in the real world. It is, and always has been, a propaganda line used by Democrats to attack sound economics. It was actually invented in the 1920s, and uh, they trotted it back out again uh, in the Reagan years. Reagan, of course, famously cut taxes for the purpose of jump-starting the economy, and the result of that was the longest economic expansion in the history Mm. of the United States and the lifting out of poverty of the most people in the history of the United States. In fact, when Reagan took office, two-thirds of black Americans were in poverty when one-third was in the middle class and above. When Reagan left office, two-thirds of black Americans were in the middle class or above. That's how powerful what was called Reaganomics really was. And, of course, the left derided it as trickle-down because they, they want to suggest that it's all about the rich and, and you're going to get crumbs from the table. It's a complete lie. It has nothing to do with reality. And this is true of basically everything the Biden administration does. They haven't told the truth about a thing. That was really helpful, uh, Rod. Uh, you know, uh, what would if you were president for a day before you before you got assassinated? How would you be trying to <laughs> work on our our current uh, economic problems as president? Well, the first thing you have to do is stop the spending. It's the spending that's driving inflation. Now, mm. of course, the Fed's balance sheet is insane, and we've done that for over a decade. And you know, there are all these things that you can point to. We clearly need higher interest rates as much as that's going to hurt everybody. But you know as well as I do, when Paul Volcker and Ronald Reagan decided to kill inflation once and for all, 
they were successful because they jacked up interest rates high enough to kill the demon. And once they did, it was gone. And like I said, we had, we had decades of the longest expansion in American Mm. history. That's probably going to be necessary again. But the reality is this is about this. If you keep spending at this insane rate with absolutely no rational relationship to what's coming into the treasury, which by the way, is at record levels. We're taking in record numbers into the treasury every single year and they just keep spending even more. If you don't get that under control, there's nothing that is going to be successful to kill inflation and people are going to get hurt more and more and more and more. Yeah. Uh, you know, I asked Joseph this question earlier. This is a question that's, I think been bothering me for a while. We've talked about this. I batted around the show a lot, but, um, the LGBT crowd makes up about 8% of our population and the voting population, excuse me. And the Christian faith based, however that's being defined, makes up about 60% of our voting population. Uh, why, why are we so impotent and why is the LGBT crowd getting pride months and getting all their legislation passed and getting a Burgerfeld passed? What's your take on that? They've done an extremely good job of becoming sympathetic uh, there, this has been well documented over the past few years with a number of books that are worth reading and, and I can get you a bibliography on that, uh, when I'm not sitting in a hotel room in a different state, but, yeah. uh, this is the first, the first step of this was to become sympathetic. The second step of this was to mobilize and organize in a way that has been very politically powerful and Christians simply don't do either one. You saw us do it well in Virginia this past year with regard to the school boards when Christians and their allies started making a a sympathetic case where parents, we care about our children, woke nonsense has to go. They didn't just win at the school board level. They won statewide. They swept the left out of power even you know, in statewide offices, governor, attorney general, lieutenant governor, the House of Delegates, everything, because they simply made the case well. Conservatives have a tendency, first of all, not to organize, but second, when they do organize, to make these cerebral academic arguments that normal people are just tuning out completely. They have to make it connect emotionally or they'll never succeed. Yeah, we got to do a better job telling stories and we got to do a better job uh, showing vision of what it means to build rod martin exactly what the scripture does Mm. the model is in scripture jesus mostly teaches in parables all of the bible is is not literally every word obvious but the bible in the main is narrative Mm -hmm. god has shown us how to persuade we just don't take him seriously we fall in love with systematic theology texts and think somehow everybody else is going to read those, and that's crazy. That's not the Bible. That's not what works. People have to hear a story. It has to be emotional. It has to connect. Mm-hmm. Pragmatist Rod Martin, thank you for joining us, man. Thank you for making an effort on your travel, on your trip, to even come on Water Break. Appreciate you, Rod. Happy to be here. Thanks. Ungrateful people, and I would say that's a lot of what our society is suffering from. We aren't thankful. Uh, we can we complain. Uh, we aren't thankful for what God has given us here in America, which has been crazy abundant. 
but I ju- but I think this connection of ungrateful people, they tend to lose perspective on what God is doing. They tend to lose perspective on all the gifts and blessings around them. Uh, and my, my next guest, Rhett Burns, he's the newest teammate to Waterbreak. Uh, Rhett, Rhett Burns is a pastor and a small business owner in Greenville, South Carolina. He's a, a regular contributor and assistant editor to the Fight Laugh Feast magazine, so you need to subscribe to the magazine. Go to fightlaughfeast.com, click on shop, and subscribe to our magazine. Uh, and prior to entering the pastorate, Rhett worked in uh, intercollegiate athletics uh, administration and coached a semi-pro American football team in Turkey. I didn't, you know, I didn't know Turkey had American football, Rhett. It's it's growing. It's a boxing sport, but the football's on the rise, and uh, they have a, a small burgeoning league playing in Europe. Interesting. Oh, that that that's kind of fun. Um, so you lived and did ministry in Turkey for I think ten to twelve years, if I recall. How has how has that impacted your review, your view of politics here in America? Sure. Well, it, we were there for seven years, and um, okay. you know, any time that you're removed from one context and placed in another, it certainly changes your perspective as your as your understanding is broadened. That was certainly the case for mm-hmm. us uh, in our time in Turkey. And that was especially true as we, uh, as I thought about America's place in the world and, and the real life consequences of, um, of the decisions and the actions of our government uh, abroad. And so uh, one of those examples that comes to mind that, that we saw uh, the effects of, you know, you go back to the Iraq war and, and everything in the aftermath of that and everything downstream from that, I'm probably oversimplifying, but the vacuum, the power vacuum that was left when Saddam Hussein was taken out, um, gave rise to ISIS. And so our last few years, we've been back in the States about five years. So our, okay. our last few years, there were, we're at the, the peak of ISIS. And it was really colored by that as we saw uh, various attacks inside of Turkey. And then, of course, you know, Turkey borders Syria and Iraq. Okay. And, and what we saw especially was, was displaced peoples. And so you have massive numbers of people who are being displaced from their homeland, uh, living in camps, um, being forced to live as non-citizens in other countries. And, you know, rootless cosmopolitans here in America might not think that's a big deal, but you, you take people, they, their families have been there for, you know, thousands of years and, and moving them away. And so seeing that, seeing some of the consequences there, just made me very wary of U.S. intervention abroad and then how that affects the local politics and the local situation uh, in other places. Um, you know, also just thinking about, you know, Turkey has a pretty strong uh, national government, centralized government. And so it made me, you're talking about being ungrateful, made me be very grateful for our system of government here in the States where local governments, local municipalities, counties act as a bulwark against um, a strong federal government. But it also living abroad uh, made me ask some questions that maybe I wouldn't have asked or or mean this before. I I remember distinctly one conversation with a friend uh, where he asked, is democracy for everyone? (laughs) And uh, kind of, you know, coming, uh, you know, of age in college during after nine 11, during the Bush years, uh, that one kind of, kind of took me aback. And what he, what he did not mean was, you know, are, are some people inferior and just incapable of self-government? That wasn't what he meant at all. But as a people, as a culture, have they been prepared to, um, to have just democracy in their laps? Uh, you know, 
Yeah. Does it, does democracy or does you know maybe more precisely say constitutional republic government does it work that way or is it the fruit of something? I think what we see is that our system of government is the fruit of Christianity. It, you know, it's rooted in, in right. English common law, which is in the Bible. You know, the the system of government that we have that is such a blessing. Uh, it, it's the type of thing it grows on a certain type of tree, and that tree is Christianity. And and so uh, seeing that you see that 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 our politics uh, are are intertwined with everything and our politics are are downstream from our culture which is downstream from religion right. downstream from what you you see and, and, and believe about just the nature of reality and so then you, know, you bring that back to our politics now here stateside when I think about politics politics here in South Carolina what are, what are we sowing yeah. um, do we see that that, that politics are, are intertwined with everything and do we see that they're the they're downstream from culture and religion? Right. I think when we do, it helps us to know what to focus on. But it also helps us in, in at least two different ways. One is that we see uh, because everything is connected, we can't just have a distaste for politics mm-hmm. uh, and be disconnected from it uh, because it does affect everything. And so we need to be involved. And we need to be engaged, especially locally where we are. Yeah. But on the other side of that is seeing that it's related to worship, seeing that it's related to culture yep. helps us see or helps us resist the, the totalizing effect of politics that we see in our culture today. Mm-hmm. Uh, helps us resist pure pragmatism, helps us to resist raw power, and, and it makes us free to then pursue other good things, good and true and beautiful things that cultivate godly culture, and then that leads to godly politics politics downstream from <laughs> from culture most most christians believe in the distinct separation of uh politics and church or politics and religion or politics and and it's uh politics is downstream from culture that is that is right now now there was a coup attempt in turkey while you lived there and a lot of uh democrats let's just call them called january 6 a coup attempt did you see uh, any similarities uh, between the coup attempt in Turkey and the supposed coup attempt on January 6th? Sure. On July the 15th, 2016, there was a coup attempt in Turkey, um, and there's all sorts of uh, various opinions about who was behind that and what was the impetus for that. But the similarities that I see uh, are in the reactions or the, the responses to uh, to the, the coup attempt in Turkey and to the January 6th events. And, and that is, uh, in Turkey after the July 15th coup attempt, uh, that event, whatever precipitated it, whatever brought it about, uh, that event was used to crush political enemies. Mm. And so, uh, anyone remotely connected with, there's this, this Islamic cleric named Fethullah Gümet. Uh, he's been a political exile out of Turkey for a long time, lives in Pennsylvania. And uh-huh. he has a, a worldwide network of schools and, and was very active in uh, Turkish politics, uh, even from Pennsylvania. Had a lot of schools, had a lot of uh, business interests and all those things. Anyone remotely connected to him well, uh, could have been subject to just life-altering consequences. So somebody's a teacher at uh, one of those schools that could be fired. Somebody had a bank account at a bank that was connected with the Gulen movement. Um, their, their, wow. their assets could be seized, and they could be fired from their job. They could be imprisoned, and they could be socially shunned, and, and all sorts of things happen. And, and July 15th was the reason to do it. It was the reason oh. um, for the government to... Uh, declare a state of emergency and, and grasp emergency powers. The reason for the suspension of due process. The reason for changing uh, or amending the institution. And why? Well, you have to prevent domestic terrorism. You have to wow. prevent another July 15th. 
And so you tell me, do you see uh, the similarities between how uh, January 6th uh, is being or has been used at least in some quarters? And it's not just January 6th either. Um, things that, events that happen, uh, and then they're, they're used to seize power. I think COVID was another example of That's that right. day, as you're talking about local politics, really came uh, to the fore locally all across America. Turkey sounds like Justin Trudeau in, in Canada. Uh, Rhett, thank you for joining uh, the Water Break team. Look forward to having you on in the weeks and months to come. Appreciate you, Rhett. Glad to be here. Thank you. It is that time. It's that time. Every Sunday, we get to end the show with news that John Brandon can trust. And the highlight of my week, Gabe. It is. It is the highlight of my week. This is the way to end. We want to. Uh, reestablish your faith in news. And the only way to do that is with a comedian, John Brannion. That's it. Specifically this comedian. News that John Brannion can trust and this comedian, John Brannion. If I, if I can trust it, you can trust it. That's the, <laughs> that's the logic. How are you doing this week, John? I'm great. You got I any gigs coming up? You got any gigs coming up? No. <laughs> There's no gigs coming up. <laughs> COVID still got you down. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know exactly what it is. It, uh, God's got something figured out. I, I guess. I'll just wait and see. He's he's he's, pull, he's pulling a little comedy on you right now. A little, mm-hmm. di- little divine comedy. Just my faith. going to see if I'm going to get my feet wet in the Jordan or if I'm going to panic. <laughs> You start filling that water, you know. I was like, all right. What's going on, Lord? <laughs> you got to wait in. News that John Brannion can trust. I assume. All right. So, you know, the January 6th, they broadcast like this trial on live television uh, this past week. Uh, January 6th trial stuff. Uh, and I don't even know. I don't even know if it's really a trial. It's all theater. That, it, to me, it's just all theater that what they're doing is with January 6th stuff. Um, well, AOC, you know, referencing the committee hearings that were broadcast live this last week on TV, she said, um, uh, she tweeted this out. She said, the way it, it, the way it all comes rushing back into the body, it's like it's that day all over again. That's what she tweeted out. January Basically, 6th. Yep, January 6th. Talking about January 6th. And if you remember... AOC was not even anywhere near the capital, the capital riots, um, and it came out. She got exposed. It came out that she didn't have to hide in the bathroom and didn't have to do all these, you know, um, and and so she. But she tweeted it out like it's rushing all back. All the all the nervousness and all the scariness of of the January six riots are coming back to her. Just watching the committee hearings. Right. So. So what what is she proposing that they should we just not do the hearings? Because I'd actually be in favor of that. I would be in favor of shutting the hearings down because <laughs> they're causing stress to AOC. Yeah, even though right. she was blocks away from the the Capitol. Well, that it doesn't matter. The, the if if I will get credit if we can get credit for being sympathetic to the emotional and psychological health of AOC. And let's shut those let's shut those trials let's, down. Let's shut them down. You remember AOC took a picture of her standing on at the other side of a fence, like she was visiting the border. You remember that? I do. 
Um, and it was, I think it was outside of DC or something where she took a picture or something. She was like an animal shelter, wasn't it? What was it really an animal shelter? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. (laughs) She was looking at stray cats. (laughs) Well, if if it's theater, you know, that, that's it. If, if, uh, if, if the politics in Washington is causing her distress, then I a hundred percent suggest and support her getting away from it. Wow. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't yeah. know why we would fight that. I don't know why we would argue yeah. with that. Yeah. Well, she wants to, she, she wants to new, to use it to her, her approval rating. It's, it's, she, it's for her, it's for her, for her Twitter followers and Instagram followers. Speaking of approval rating, this is John. This is news that you can trust. Biden's approval rating is now 22% among young adults and down to 24% among actually Hispanics. This is according to New York Post. 24%, 22% among young adults. Yep. And that's what? Up to age 30? His, what is it, what's a young adult? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Actually, I don't know. This is New York Post. Um, that's also. Um, he, his overall approval rating is now down to 33%. I think I think that might be the lowest approval rating um, among all presidents in the history of approval ratings. Yikes. That's well, the, uh, the only reason that it's not lower, I would suspicion, is because that there's at least 70% of young adults who don't even know who he is. <laughs> No man, yeah, and that, he got that, the most votes. He got the most votes in the history of all presidents. Remember, he got eighty they million votes. Who he is? And they you still take a survey on a college campus. Ask them who the president of the United States is, and seventy percent of them probably can't tell you who it is. And so they don't. They're not. Their opinion of Joe Biden is mm-hmm. not down because they don't even know who he is. <laughs> so this is the Quinnipiac poll. It's a. It's a very. I mean, it's a very consistent poll, and um, it's it's been pretty reliable, at least in the poll numbers. It's been pretty consistent in how it's tracked uh, Biden's um, approval rating. Which, you know, what if you, after every comedy show, got an approval rating of of twenty percent, twenty two percent? Just just they rated you. You got immediately <laughs> approval rating feedback after every show. Maybe that's why. Well, I get you get approval ratings as a stand-up after every joke. That's true. I yeah. get, I get, I can gauge my performance after every joke, and maybe that's why there's no work, Gabe. Maybe my approval rating is even lower than Biden's. <laughs> maybe, there's a, maybe there's a movement out there that uh, it's ready to. So, what do you do? I mean, how do you? The, the, in the coming election, is it is it any great feat? to get elected when you are running against the lowest, the, the least popular president in the history of the United States. Yeah. I mean, to beat a guy like that, what is it? What, what is that going to do? Is that, is that necessarily going to mean the country is back on track? I don't know. No. Right. <laughs> I mean, we could elect a house plant and at this and point it would be more popular at this point. Yeah. Well, it just it blows my mind that okay, Biden supposedly got eighty million votes, the most in the history of all voting, and mm-hmm. and his approval rating is so low. You know, you, you realize we still got like two and a half more years with this guy. Like we aren't even right. halfway through his presidency. Is it possible to get negative approval? Is it possible to go 
I would, I, I, would, I, would, I would think what so. What would that look like? Yeah, you just say, I negatively approve of Joe. <laughs> How much? 50%? I got negative. I negatively 50. My, my, I'm 100% negative approval of Joe Biden. But that's what, but, but that's disapproval, right? I mean, yeah. negative, negative approval is just disapproval. And so, I don't know. Once you reach zero, that would be, that's about as low as you can go, right? Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't go. I would like to go in the negatives, though, John. It, that's not good enough for me. Zero is not good enough. Well, the only way that you could go negative, I think, would be if you started tallying people who didn't participate in the survey, right? I mean, <laughs> who be, didn't want to had, because of Joe. <laughs> right. If you had more people, you had more responses than you had people that were actually asked to respond. And they're like, no, is this is, about Joe Biden? No, I don't want to yeah. respond to this. I don't know. So the, the, the end of it, at the, at the end of the day, I'm not sure it makes any difference, you know, regardless of how unpopular he is. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem, my, our opinion of the president doesn't seem to have much impact on what they do. Mm. The, 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 as yeah. The, well, on this one, and what's funny was he actually went on Jimmy Kimmel uh, last week because he's trying to, I don't know, somehow increase his approval rating. And so he goes on to Jimmy Kimmel last week. It obviously didn't work because this. I think this poll came out that same week. Yeah, well, that tells me something too. I mean, if the if their idea of how to increase the president's approval rating is to go on a late night talk show rather than <laughs> yeah, exactly implement some sort of positive policy change, yeah. that's a problem too, right? I yeah. mean, maybe maybe he should learn to play the piano. Maybe mm-hmm. he should learn how to juggle. That will improve his <laughs> approval rating. Yeah, you know? yeah, learn. Take take a pastry class. Yeah, start start cooking. Start. He need, yeah, obviously yeah. at this point he needs to do something different. I mean, if if, I, if my do, performance, whatever you do, yeah, don't start governing. Whatever you do, Joe, <laughs> don't right. start governing. That's right. But, but learn how to, you know, learn how to make fire or swallow swords or something like that. I, I'm That'll just, do it. I'm just sorry if 33. If my approval rating here in the office across politics was 33 percent. <laughs> I, what I is think, your approval rating? I, I don't know. We should we should get a Quinnipiac poll. Um, can we do that next week? Can we, can we should we should do an approval rating from the car from the. Car. <laughs> can we do that for can Knox, Toby, rating? everyone on the network? Yeah. John Brandian, Mark Dewey, like who's? Where's your approval rating with you know Cr Wiley of Gay Branch <laughs> of Gay <Right>. Branch? <laughs> Let's get Gabe Wrench's approval rating and let's get that. Yeah. That's news that I can trust. That, yes. Next week. From the cross politic audience. That's funny. Gabe Wrench's official approval. John, thank you for coming on Water Break, man. Joining the Water Break team. Appreciate you. Everybody else, don't uh, miss us. Miss Cross Politic Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. That's our new slot, 6 p.m. And you, and you should, the best way to consume what we're doing Monday through Friday is actually on the app. Download the app. Uh, we do do a separate show on YouTube. We have to be a little more strategic on what we say on YouTube because we get uh, kicked off there. And so, but we do do a separate show on YouTube. And so, but if you want, and and it's fun, it's good. I don't want to discourage my YouTube guys. Uh, but if you want the good stuff, download the app. You can still catch us on Facebook, Rumble, Twitter. Uh, but download the app. That's the best place to catch what we're doing Monday through Friday. So. 
Until next week, make sure you guys uh, uh, catch the water break and the water break team every Sunday night, 7 p.m. Thank you for trusting us to end your Sundays. This is Waterboy with the water break. Go fight, laugh, and feast. Armored Republic exists to honor Christ the King by providing tools of liberty to free men. New York State just banned body armor. Armored Republic is suing the state of New York in federal court to resist their arrogant war against your God-given rights. Mass shootings are tragic acts of evil that are best resisted by armed citizens and brave watchmen ready to fight back. The main violent threat to human life is not individual criminals, it's tyranny. In the 20th century alone, governments killed 169 million of their own unarmed citizens. Unarmed citizens are the stuff of dreams to tyrants and criminals. The Second Amendment is an acknowledgement of your God-given right to own a rifle and body armor. The 14th Amendment acknowledges the duty of the federal government to stop tyrant states from stealing your God-given rights. Legislators of New York, you are oath breakers. You proudly steal the rights of your people and oppress them without a second thought. Your law is null and void. It's unconstitutional. It is an offense against God, and there is no king but Christ. This is Armored Republic.